Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Devorah Barhana, Eliezer Raphael Leib Benemuna, and Benel Michal Ben Bashamina. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I'm so happy to have on today's show, Rebitzin Nomi Freeman. Rebitzin Nomi is the daughter of the renowned Argentinian Kabbalist, Professor Araham Policheco of Blessed Memory. Rebitzin Nomi is well known for her seminars on spirituality and Jewish mysticism. She has lectured international. internationally. Rebitzin Nomi has tens of thousands of viewers that follow her video classes on Chabad.org. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Thank you, Vera. It's great to be here. So what I do, I've been teaching Torah most of my life. That's what I really love to do. Um, I give workshops on spiritual development. And for the past 10 years, I've had a lot of interest in near-death experiences, which I believe is going to be today's topic. Yes. So that's uh, what's, what's been on my mind for the past while, together with everything else. Torah, mysticism, teaching people of all ages. Very nice. Beautiful, beautiful. And as you mentioned, today, we're going to delve into the topic of the near-death experiences. So, I mean, I know that you're passionate about a fascinating topic, which is near-death experiences. And this is really such an interesting topic. I'm really, really looking forward to really diving deep into it. So let's start at the beginning. Can you please tell us exactly what is a near-death experience? Sure. Well, I think that nowadays, um, most people are kind of familiar with it. But yes, very briefly, a near-death experience is an event in which a person is clinically dead. Their consciousness, their awareness is outside of their body. And they go through an experience. So the experience could be uh, as simple as just hovering above their body and then returning to it. Or it could be more elaborate if the person is dead for longer, the person could have a chance to go through a tunnel and there's a pattern, which is basically the person is hovering above their body, travel through a tunnel, emerge into a beautiful world of light in most cases, um, sometimes meeting relatives and friends who have passed on. Um, in many cases, about 50% approximately, having a life review in which they see their entire lives. And some fortunate few could be in the presence of angels, which they describe as beings of light, or even in the presence that they call the, the living, loving light, which is the presence that they believe to be an expression of the creator himself, of God himself. And this is what they call the loving, living light because they, they experience it as a light, but the light is alive and it's giving them incredible, unconditional and infinite love which is very powerful and, of course, a transformational experience for these people. Wow. That is amazing. I can't even imagine that. That's so, it sounds like so loving and just such a wonderful experience to, to have. Wow. It is, yes. Um, I mean, thousands of people who are alive today have had a near-death experience. So, and for most of them, their time on the other side was short, but life-transforming, as you mentioned. What does the Talmud and Kabbalah say about these near-death experiences and how can this knowledge assist us in our lives now? Oh, that's a beautiful question. So near-death experiences are much more common today, but they are not new. As you said, um, there are a couple of near-death experiences mentioned in the Talmud and in the Kabbalah. So in the Talmud, we have in Tractate Pesachim in page 50, the story of Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Hoshua ben Levi. He was young, but very ill. 
and he was basically so sick he was in his deathbed. His father, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, was sitting next to him in his next to his son who was so ill. And uh, at one point, uh, Rabbi Yossi passed on. He passed away. He stopped breathing. His father remained next to his son's body. And not long after, Rabbi Yossi came back to life. So being a, a Talmudic scholar, a sage, he asked his son, Maraita, what did you see? In other words, he realized that he had been dead and came back to life. He wanted to learn from the experience. I said to him, what did you see? while you were out of your body. And Rabbi Yossi said, Olam raiti. I saw an upside down world. Wow. So what is the meaning of an upside down world? Basically all the things and the people that are valued and respected and honored in this world um, could be, you know, in the other end and in the other world. In other words, things that we value, people that we value and respect, that people value and respect in this world that could be leaders or, or actors or sports players or whoever they are. And in the other world, the people who are really valued, who are above, are the people who have done acts of kindness. And it could be very small acts of kindness because in the other world, small things are big things. They're a big deal. So it could be just a typical helping a, a little old lady and that would be amazing. And here, nobody would think twice about it. It wouldn't be. So yeah, so Olam Afuch, I saw an upside down world where the values and the people who are on top could be you know, switched with this world. And then he said something else. He said, and I heard a voice that said, Lucky is the one who comes here, meaning to that world, and his learning is in his hand, meaning that he's brought his learning with him. And, uh, and we see in near-death experiences that there are two things that are very, very valuable. And that is acts of kindness and knowledge, acquiring knowledge. So learning is very valuable as well. And you asked about the Kabbalah. So in Zohar Hadash, there is the story of Rabbi Kruspedai. And he also had a near-death experience. Um, he died and he's, he, his, on his deathbed, he was surrounded by his colleagues, other sages, and they witnessed his death and his return to life. So they also were curious about what the experience was like, but they asked a little bit of a different question. They asked, why did they send you back? <laughs> good question. <laughs> it's a good question. So you said they extended my life. They extended my life because they said that Rabbi Kruspedai was ma'avir al-midotav, which means he overcame his personal tendencies, which basically translates into he was very forgiving. And we find that in near-death experiences, we don't find it very often, but when we do find it, we find that forgiving is very powerful, that people can rise to much higher levels of spirituality in the world, in the spiritual world, if they were very forgiving. And Rabbi Kruspedai said his life was extended because of two things, that he was very forgiving and that his life was full of learning Torah and prayer. That's so. incredible. It's so incredible how everything is, is switched around, like you said, like that, that really made an impression um, on me. Everything that you said, including the upside down world, like what we value here, fame, money, success, 
Exactly. You know, in, in the next world, it's it's, it's not, not so even mentioned. It's yeah. not even mentioned. You're not going to find money or banks or investments. The only investment that you have there is what did you invest your energy, your life into? Right. And what's valued the most is love and kindness. Amazing. Love and kindness and, and learning Torah knowledge and forgiveness also. It's so interesting. You know, we think about forgive, forgiveness around Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, the high holy days that time. We don't always think about forgiveness so much throughout the year, but you know, yes. from what you're saying, it's it's valued. It's valued at any time of the year, and it elevates you spiritually. So why mm-hmm. should we wait until the high holy days to forgive? We can forgive in, in May. You know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. You can forgive every day. <laughs> yes. But, uh, there are stories in the Talmud about very very great people who had miracles performed for them to save their lives, or for whatever reasons they did the miracle. And the only outstanding feature of these people were that they were very forgiving. Amazing. I mean, yeah, that's that so they wouldn't go to sleep at night until they had forgiven anyone who had wronged them or hurt them on that day. That's incredible. So, yes. so it's a very, so forgiveness is very powerful in the spiritual world. Oh my gosh. That's thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's, I have to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Um, I know that you have spoken with many people about their near near death experiences, people who have actually had them. Can you please share with us a story or two about the near death experience of the people who you have spoken with? Yes, um, there are so, so many, but I, I, I would like to share with you one that I heard very recently. I was in Israel uh, two months ago and I spoke there for English speaking communities as well. And usually the experience is that at the end of a lecture or a presentation, there is always at least one, if not two or three or five or six people who come and report to me some kind of either near-death experience or after-death communication or some kind of event. So from all the ones that I heard recently, this one is the one that impacted me the most. Um, there is this lady from Chicago, a, a couple that was well, was there at my at my talk in Beersheba. It was a doctor and his wife, a psychologist. And the lady, the psychologist, told me that when they lived in Chicago, there was a, a person in their community who was a very nice man. And um, he was Torah observant. He was kind. Um, everything was good in his life. Uh, but basically he was a type A personality. So he was very much, you know, that kind of that kind of person. And as it could happen sometimes to those people who are very driven and don't give themselves a breath, um, he had a heart attack and he died. But he survived. He was sent back. So when he was sent back, they said as soon as he recovered, he changed dramatically. And even though he had been a very nice person beforehand, but beforehand he was very, very much into his business and he was already very wealthy, but, but he kept on going. He was very wealthy, but he kept on, you know, he kept on going with his business all, all the time nonstop. And after the heart attack and the near-death experience from which he came back, he was very changed. He was much calmer. He slowed down. He spent much more time with his family. He was much more relaxed. And, and this is a common feature of people who have had a near-death experience is they become obsessed with helping others. Wow. So he also became that way obsessed. And so, so this couple approached him and asked him, we would like to know if you're able to share what, what caused that radical change in you. And he said, everything we worry about in this world, it's nothing. 
So they said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, all the things that we're always worried about in this life that we're concerned with, uh, there's nothing, that it has no importance. So they said, okay, so tell us what is important? What is valuable? What should we, what would you we try to get? So he said, I'll tell you, in my, in my near-death experience, I had a life review. So the life review, basically what it is, is you will re-experience your whole life. So you can see it as a, as a movie, big, big screen, or you can see it 3D, or you can see, or you can relive it. But basically, that's the life review. And people experience it a little bit differently. But basically, you see from yourself from birth to death. And he says, in my life review, I saw one experience that I had that was what was really, really valuable. He says, one day I'm driving my car down the street towards a business meeting. And I see an old lady who is going into a laundromat with a cart full of all her laundry. But there was a step to get into the laundromat. So it was hard. She couldn't lift her heavy cart into the laundromat. So he says, I stopped. I parked my car and I got out of my car and I went and I helped the old lady to lift her cart into the laundromat. And then while I was at it, I helped her get settled with all her bags and everything she had to do. And only after she was settled, I left her. And okay, so it took two or three minutes to, you know, to park his car and help another human being. He says, that's what matters. Wow. From my entire life and my investments, my millions, my everything, that's what I took with me. That was sort of like highlighted. So people find that when they watch the life review, certain things are highlighted. And so that they can realize that's that's what you did. That was good. And that was one, one, of, the, one of the features that was highlighted in this particular man's uh, life review. So that's one story. Um, I have, I have so many more. Um, there is a story of a woman called Diane who was 28 years old and she was electrocuted, um, at home with a, with an appliance and she was alone. And basically she died in the bathroom, 28 years old, dead in the bathroom, uh, from the, uh, from the electric shock. So she says, she had a very long experience, but for, for the sake of brevity, basically she was found herself in, in her home. And then as soon as she thought about something, she was there. Like she thought about, oh, who's going to take care of my dog? And as she had that thought, she was in the backyard with the dog. And then she remembered, oh, this afternoon I have to have, I have a coffee meeting with my friend. I'm meeting her at the coffee shop. And immediately she was in the coffee shop as she had that thought because she was in spirit form. And then she started to rise and she traveled through the tunnel and she met, she met a being of light that we call angels in this world. And then she eventually had a life review. So she said that she had been a kind person. So she had a pleasant life review because in the life review, what happens is as we are watching everything, we are also experiencing and every emotion, but not just as we live those emotions ourselves, but we experience everything we caused others to experience. So when you are going through your life review, you are feeling in your, in your own being, 
every emotion you cause another person. So that kind people have a beautiful life review and a wonderful experience. And people who were selfish have a very hard time with a life review. So anyways, so, so the, this particular lady, Diane says she saw her life review and she was happy because it was a good life. But she said two things were highlighted in her life review. One was when she was a high school student, she had an evening job in a retirement home for the elderly. And there was there a very old lady who had no teeth and no family. So she had no visitors and it was very lonely. So Diane says, I loved that lady, even though she was not my relative, I loved her as if she was my own grandmother. And she loved to eat cookies as an evening snack before going to bed. And nobody would bring her cookies because she had no teeth. And as she wanted to thank people for the cookies, she would grab their hand and kiss them all the way up their arm. And as she had no teeth, she would drool on people, which people found unpleasant. Therefore, nobody would bring the poor old lady the cookies. So Diane says, I would bring her cookies for an, for an evening snack. And I didn't care if she drooled at me because it was an act of kindness and I loved her. So Diane says, when I saw this in my life, in my life review, not only did I feel the joy of the, of the old lady, I felt that God himself and every angel in the spiritual world were showering me with thanks wow. and love for my little act of kindness. As if they all benefit, all the angels benefited from her act of kindness. And the second event that was very much highlighted in Diane's life was years later when she was older and she was driving her car. And one day she was driving down the street and she saw another woman whose car had broken down. And this poor woman is pushing her car out of the incoming traffic. And she's trying to push it into the parking lot of the supermarket on that block. And Diane says, I saw this poor woman all alone trying to push her car. So I parked my own car, double parked, at the risk of getting a ticket or even getting towed to go help this stranger who needed help. And I helped her. And as soon as we got her car, we pushed together her car. And as soon as we got it out of the traffic and parked into the parking lot, I dashed out of there so fast that the other lady had no chance to even thank me. And she says, again, when I saw this in my life review in the other world, I felt like God himself and every being of light in, the, in that world was showering me with infinite love and gratitude, thanking me for my small act of kindness, which took me five minutes. Wow. But it was highlighted because it was completely what we called, what we call chesed chinam or chesed shelemet, which is a kindness that has no ulterior motives because she knew the little old lady couldn't do anything back for her. And this other woman in the street, she was a complete stranger. She would never see her again. So the value of the kindness is magnified by the fact that there is no ulterior motive whatsoever. That doesn't mean that other, another kindness is not valued. Of course, every kindness is extremely, extremely valuable. But those special ones that we do for a stranger with no ulterior motives, those are highlighted even more. It's incredible because she probably wasn't even thinking, oh, I'm going to get some kind of reward for doing this. Nothing. No. No. no, this is the right thing to do. That lady needs help. I'm going to help. 
exactly. It's a hundred percent. And I really thank you for like emphasizing that point because I really feel that we don't value kindness and good deeds toward others as much as we might value other things. I, I, I don't feel like in our society, we place enough emphasis in doing the right thing and helping somebody and doing a kindness and saying a nice word for somebody and cheering somebody up. I don't feel like we place enough emphasis. We say, oh, whatever, I don't have time to do it. I'm too busy or it's not going to matter if I do it anyway. But what you're saying, you're highlighting is when we have our our review, our life review, mm -hmm. these are the things that are most valuable to exactly. Hashem, really. Exactly, exactly. And if you want to be really, really selfish and think about yourself, what you should do is spend your life helping others because that's what's coming back to you. Basically, when we are having our life review, every emotion that we put out to others, good and not good, they all come back to us and we have to re-experience everything we cause others. And people sometimes are very surprised. It's good to know. It's something so good to keep in mind because we could really, now we're still here. We have the opportunity to change our behavior. Exactly. And change exactly. exactly. Um, I, I know that you personally have never had a near-death experience, but you have had after-death communications from your father who has passed away. What were those communications like and what did you learn from them? Yeah, thank you for the question. So it's over 30 years that my father, my father passed away and he was young and he died unexpectedly. And being an only daughter with only one sibling who is a brother, I was very close to my father. So when he died suddenly and unexpectedly, it was very shocking. And um, one of the feelings I had besides the feeling of loss and grief was the feeling that I never had a chance to say goodbye to my father. So at the Shloshim, 30 days after his passing, when we were at the grave and we went to pray at his grave, when everybody left, I stayed at my father's grave and I did something that, like they tell you, don't try this at home. Yes. <laughs> I, I asked my father that I wanted to see him again. Now, later I learned that you are not supposed to do that because once somebody has left this world and has passed on to the other world, you have to let them be, you have to let them be there and not call them back here. That's disturbing for them. And it's a lot of trouble for us all to come back and not always are they able to do it either. But I didn't know it at the time. So I asked my father that I wanted that closure. I wanted to you know, see him again, see that he's okay over there and, and then go on with my life. So I had heard many stories about souls of parents, grandparents and others who had come to a relative in a dream. And in the dream, giving them a message, do this, don't do that, and so on. So I imagined that I would have a dream. So that night I went to bed thinking that maybe my father will come in my dream. Mm -hmm. And I woke up in the morning and there was no dream, nothing. And I said, okay, maybe it takes a few days and who knows, you know, so I waited uh, two, three days a week. And then I realized, okay, this is not happening. It did not happen. It's not, it's not happening. And I was very busy. I had a young family with children and, you know, I just let that go and I forgot about it. So a couple of months later, and in those days we were living in Vancouver, Canada. And a couple of months later, a very important and holy man, a, a rabbi from California, Rabbi Reichik, Oliver Shalom came to Vancouver to speak to our community and just to inspire us. And we were in the Chabad Center and the rabbi was speaking to all the ladies in the community and all the ladies were sitting in a large half circle of chairs where the rabbi at the open end 
of the half circle. And he was speaking words of Torah and inspiration for us. And then right in the middle of the rabbi's speech and with no warning or introduction, suddenly my father was there in the room. And I saw him very clearly, just like I see any human being in the room with me, with the one difference that I was aware it was not a physical presence. So first of all, he was not standing on the ground, but hovering closer to the ceiling than to the floor. And secondly, I had a knowledge in my mind that if I would have gotten up from my chair and walked all the way across a very long room that we were in, a large hall, that if I stretched out my hand, there was nothing to touch. It was no physical body and it was just his spirit. So I felt the tears on my face as this was my father present and it was the first time I was seeing him after his death. So it was a very moving experience and I did not know what to do. So it took me a few seconds to settle and you know, regain my composure. Of course, nobody is all these people around me who have no idea why I'm crying. They think maybe I may be very moved by the rabbi's words. So, um, and everybody's looking at the rabbi anyway. So after I, I gained my composure and, and, and I was settled, then my father gave me a message. And the messages or the communications um, in the near-death experiences, as well as in this experience, are mind to mind. In other words, you don't hear anything in your ears. You think a thought and you transfer it to the person with whom you're communicating. Mm -hmm. So I received in my mind the message from my father. And he called me by my first name. And he said, Nomi, do as many mitzvahs as you can, because Mashiach is coming soon. That was his message. Do as many mitzvahs as you can because Mashiach is coming soon. Now, what I was hoping for was completely different. I, I was hoping for him to give an answer to my questions and he was giving me what he wanted to say to me, not what I wanted to hear, but what he wanted to say. And what did he want to say? A father who loves his children so, so much. What could you want to say is he wanted to give me that one message that I could gain the most from. And that is the message that while I am in this physical world, that's the time when I could gain, when I could become richer and richer for the world to come by doing more mitzvahs. So he said, do as many mitzvahs as you can because Mashiach is coming soon. So hopefully we will not, we will not need to leave our bodies to move on to another world because the other world is coming to us. It will become a more spiritual world here with, with, uh, with the coming of Mashiach. Wow, that's incredibly inspirational. That's really, it's, it's inspirational and it's motivating. It really, really is. Um, so I just it have- certainly one. was for me. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I have just one more question. So about are Jewish near-death experiences different for the near-death experiences that people from other religions have? And if so, how are they different? Good question. Very interesting question. So basically, let's see what is a, the most common near-death experience, and then we'll move on to what the difference is with a Jewish one. Okay. In general, the near-death experience is pretty universal in the sense that the beginning stages are usually the same. The hovering above the body, the traveling through a tunnel, the life review, all that is, is, is universal and very common. What is valued in terms of 
doing acts of kindness? Well, in the Torah, we know that loving your fellow of yourself is, is you know, the sages tell us in the Talmud that this is the basic value of the Torah. So this is very, very important. So we already know this from the Torah and this is universal. Everybody is expected to treat others kindly, to live a moral life, um, an ethical life and do the right things. And we all know what those right things are. So we know that already from the Torah for Jews and non-Jews. In, in addition to our relationship with our fellow humans, there is also the relationship with the creator. And that's also very impactful. In other words, for instance, I'll, I'll give you a short example. A person who had a near-death experience and the, in their experience, they were shown planet earth as if they were at a distance watching planet earth. And they saw little lights throughout the world throughout planet earth and they heard a voice and the voice was telling them see those little lights in every spot where you see a small light there is somebody praying wow and if everyone prayed it would look like this and then the entire planet earth was shining like the sun it was all full of light and then the voice repeated but it is not so and the lights went out and only the little lights remained now, this was not a Jewish near-death experience. This was just an experience of a regular human being, that's not necessarily Jewish, who is watching the world and observing the people in the world who are communicating with the creator, who are praying. And especially when we pray, asking the creator to heal the sick and to provide for others and to help people who are in difficult situations and to make peace in the world, all those things are very valuable because we are also not only praying, communicating with God, but also trying to help others. So it's both together. So that was very powerful. There was another near-death experience that was universal of a woman whose life review um, was uncommon, was different than everybody else's. She did not see a movie. She did not see her life from birth to death. Instead, she saw an old man holding a book in his hands. And as she saw this old man with a long white beard holding the book, she understood that this book is the story of her life. So she approached the man in her, that was there in the other world and she mentally asked him, can I please see the book? And he handed her the book and she opened it and she started leafing through the pages and seeing that yes, I, I, I'm reading this and I remember th this happened to me. I remember when this happened and that happened. And as she's looking through the book, she sees that a few pages have entire paragraphs that have been erased, that are white and they're missing. An entire chunk of a page is missing. So she looks at the old man and she's thinking, why are the chunks missing? And the old man smiles at her and says, those are things you did that were wrong, but you took steps to correct them. Ah. They have been erased from your records. They're no longer in the book of your life. And I think that this experience is so powerful because it gives us hope for those things that we did that we realized later, or maybe even at the time that, oops, that was the wrong thing to do. I wish I hadn't done it. But just by making a decision that 
I'm no longer that person. I'm no longer doing that. And now I'm going to do the right thing. You can wipe it out of your slate. And that's amazing. So that's another um, another NDE where you see that there is a relationship with the creator and an interaction in which he will help you um, if you want to do the right thing. And all these things, um, the kindness and the relationship with God and, and the praying and, and the trusting God, all that is universal. So what is specific about Jewish near-death experiences? So there is one aspect that I've only heard from Jewish people, and I heard it in quite a few of the near-death experiences from Jewish people I spoke to, and that is the base din or the Jewish tribunal, the, the, the heavenly court. So the, the people who had had this experience, they said, I found myself in front of a court of judgment of a Beit Din, and they were judging me. So in some cases, they were judging the person to decide what kind of life they had lived. So the person could be watching their life review in front of this Beit Din. And in some cases, the judges said, no, we, we, we are judging to decide whether you are staying in this world or going back down to your body. So wow. the court is not always judging that. But this is a specific element that I found in Jewish near-death experiences. Um, another thing is one particular individual told me that he was not a Torah observant person. He was 18 years old and he had a very rare infection. And, uh, and it attacked his heart. So even though he was 18, he had a heart attack. But because he was so young, the doctors did not think that he could be having a heart attack. So it took a while for them to realize what was going on. In any case, the next day he had a second heart attack. And in the second heart attack, he died and came back. So during his near-death experience, um, this 18-year-old boy saw a Sefer Torah, a Torah scroll, like standing in front of him. And he said it was rolling, you know, like they roll it when they read the Torah. I said it was rolling. And I read as I was there, I read the entire Torah from, from Bereshit Barelokim, the very first words, and all the way until Israel, the last word in the Torah. I, I read the whole Torah. And this is considering that he was not observant and didn't have much knowledge of Hebrew or anything, but in his experience, he saw all this. Um, this and, and he said something very interesting. He said, I was, I was judged benevolently and I was only judged for the things that I knew. If there were things that I never knew about that I had to do a certain mitzvah or not do, then that, that wasn't mentioned to me because it was not my fault that I didn't know it. Right. That doesn't mean that we should try not to know. On the contrary, we have an obligation to, to know as we talked about the importance of learning that we are sent here to learn and to experience and to grow. So, so this 18-year-old boy, when he came back from the experience, because you know they resuscitated him in the hospital, um, he started searching, and he searched and searched, and he came. He, he was in he was in college, and he met the Chabad rabbi. But it took a while until until he got there, and then he told him his experience, and he started learning more Torah, and he became completely observant. Amazing. So that's Sefer Torah or elements like that are unique of course, to Jewish near-death experiences. Wow. 
That's so beautiful. And it gives us so much to think about, really. It gives us so much to think about, about how we can become better people and what we can do better in our lifetimes so that when we get to Olam Haba, whenever that is, we're prepared. We're really prepared with the right uh, currency, so to speak. And the currency isn't money. It's the right value. Right, and exactly. I had, I had another thought that just slipped right through. Okay, sorry. It's okay if you think of it. Let me know. <laughs> um, thank you so much. We are prepared when, when we get there. But also, it's not just to be prepared when we get there. But even as we are here now, mm -hmm. every minute, all that is with us all the time. So all that light which we have accumulated um, over the years that we are here and the things that we have done is with us all the time. And all the good deeds that we, that we do are accumulated. They are sort of like protecting the angels for us as well. So it's not just something that we are going to after 120 years. It's something that lives with us all the time. And that's why in the Talmud, we don't say this is a good person. They are going to heaven. There is no such expression in Hebrew as going to heaven. We call this person a ben olam haba, which is a child of the world to come because we are carrying this light of the world to come with us as we are here in this physical world. So it's something that a wealth, a spiritual wealth that we accumulate that's surrounding us and, and accompanying us all the time. And when Mashiach comes, it will be very much revealed as well. Amen. That sounds so comforting and protective. I love it. I really, I really do. It was very comforting. <laughs> Um, thank you so much, Rabbits and Nomi, for joining us today on America's Top Rabbitsons. We really, really enjoyed having you here, and we learned so much. And may all the learning we did today be for Rafua Shalema, for Devorah Barhana, Eliezer Raphael Le Ben Amuna, and Ben Almechem Ben Bashamina. Thank you so, so Amen. much. Yashar Kawach to you for your great work. Thank you so much.